Hi, Tim Clare here, descending from the owl rafters like some giant and ultimately benign hairy spider to say this is another guest episode. I had a chat with author Nikesh Shukla. You may have listened to him in season one where the two of us looked at a listener's first page. If you're not familiar with his work, he's written three novels so far. Coconut Unlimited, which was nominated for the Costa, Meat Space, and his latest, The One Who Wrote Destiny. He's got a fourth, a YA title called Run Riot, coming out in June of this year. He also edited a collection of essays called The Good Immigrant, which, after a successful Unbound funding campaign, went on to huge critical acclaim, sold a bunch of copies, and won a Reader's Choice Award. As Nikesh mentions at the beginning of the podcast, we're both very sleep-deprived dads, so um, it does take us a little while to get to the punch in places, but I think you're going to get a lot out of this talk. He's modest and self-deprecating, but we chat about craft and finding what a story's really about, and the story of his latest book is a journey that's taken him nearly 20 years. It's really inspiring. I loved talking to him. Please forgive my shortcomings as an interviewer. I'm still learning, but I am a quick learner. And believe you me, listening to yourself back teaches you an awful lot. I think despite that, uh, Nikesh, it was very, very inspiring and interesting. And I just enjoyed chatting to another writer about craft and I think you're going to learn a hell of a lot from him. Oh, and I'll put links to all the books we mentioned in the podcast in the show notes and on my website with links so if you want to read some of Nikesh's work uh, support his career and support me and Death of a Thousand Cuts at the same time you can click through one of those um, they're all uh, sort of affiliate links so I get a little kickback as well and you can get yourself a new book or two to read by a brilliant author anyway I'll shush briefly here he is Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name is Tim Clare. I am your guide through the uh, the, the tricky thickets of uh, creative writing. But I'm not alone today because I, I don't know everything, despite what I may have um, wanted to believe sometimes. And so I have with me, uh, over Skype, uh, the author Nikesh Shukla, who is returning to the podcast of course uh, having uh having uh, batted up a storm in uh, season one um how are you doing Nikesh? i am very well thank you um I, I debated whether to give you the same answer that i gave you off mic which was yeah i'm all right um which is pro- <laughs> probably probably a bit closer to the truth because um I'm just very tired and very busy at the moment, but um, given it's a podcast and it's supposed to be inspirational and uplifting, yeah, I'm great, man. Well, this is the thing, actually, is from the emails I get, people are strangely more inspired by the moments where I go, I actually don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> when when I, when our guests have been on and gone, Joe Dunthorn was on a couple of episodes back and was just going, during my last novel, I hated writing most of it and I felt really depressed. And I didn't really enjoy it. And I had so many people emailing me going, oh, it's really nice to know <laughs> that, that, that people aren't secretly, that everyone except me finds it really easy and is just sits down with a big quill and goes, once upon a time. And, and then it just flows out of them. So I think, strangely, hearing that... And also, you should... You should be a bit tired, right? And this is this actually leads me into a first question. So you've just had, it's been less than a week 
since your latest novel, the one who wrote Destiny, came out. How do you find time to write? Because, like me, you're a parent. You've got all these different projects. You seem to be doing everything in the world, and yet you're managing to write. And so my first question is, how have you managed to produce another novel? Um, well, r- disgustingly, two this year. Uh, cause I've got I know, because all- Run Riot is coming out as well, right? Yeah, that's out in June. Um, well, you know... <laughs> Uh, so, so I guess this is this is the thing. Like, um, it appears that in 2018, like I am really, really, I have been really, really prolific recently. But the reality is, like, so Meat Space, my second novel, came out in 2014. So it's finished sort of late 2013. So I've been writing since 2013 on a bunch of things. And the Good Immigrant, which is a collection of essays I did in 2016. That was like that was never part of the plan. That was never on the slate. It just sort of emerged out of like a whim that I had one day, and um, it kind of pushed everything back in terms of when I got round to doing edits that I was happy of of work that I'd already done. But you know, I've been steadily writing and editing since twenty thirteen on these two things, and so it just it just so happens that they both ended up coming out in the same year, probably because I guess the success of the good immigrant made it more more possible for me to get book deals i don't i don't know so like it's not like i've been i'm any more prolific than other people it's just that i've had i've been working steadily and you had it's it's like you had a few like planes in a kind of holding pattern waiting to land and then suddenly a runway is open has cleared up and they're all kind of like coming in at once yeah yeah that's that's a really good analogy um and also the thing about the one who wrote destiny is um that i've been trying to write this particular novel since 1999 since like this was the first thing i attempted when i was a young whippersnapper in the second year at university thinking that i could write a great novel and drop a fire mixtape and um at 19 turns out i could do neither of those things could you give like a little sort of mini i guess i don't want to use the word pitch because it sounds too uh, but what is the one who wrote destiny about so the one who wrote, wrote destiny is um it's, it's hard to describe it in in like a slick elevator pitch because it's a very interior novel so it's a very character driven novel there's not much plot it's all about a family and race and immigration and the changing face of racism in the uk since the 60s uh, right through to now it's about stand-up comedy it's about cancer it's about death and bereavement and it's also about fate and destiny and whether i guess the the main theme of it is are we doomed to repeat the mistakes of our parents and are they already repeating the mistakes of their parents yeah i wanted to because you've got like and i'll I'll go in a second i'd really like to ask you my my sort of big question uh, for you is about first person narrators because i've never written one and i know you've written a few now and this is a novel that where you kind of like move between four different characters their viewpoints um, starting with uh, Makesh and then moving through various uh, various perspectives, and I wanted to I wanted to sort of ask you about how did you go about getting getting a handle on those characters because they feel very the perspectives their different sections feel very different. I was wondering how you kind of like how you got to know them. I mean, these are characters I've lived with for a very long time uh, since 1999, and I think the thing that 
it was actually like I've been, there are many different versions of this book and many different attempts to kind of get under the skin of these characters and it was it was actually listening to a podcast interview with Mitch Hurwitz who created Arrested Development and he was talking about the tradition of Commedia del Arte in sitcoms and how most sitcoms uh, hinge on uh, the archetypes of a matriarch, a patriarch, a craftsman, and a clown. So, like, if you take Seinfeld as your best example of this, like, Jerry is your matriarch character, um, Elaine is your patriarch, uh, Kramer is your craftsman, and George is your clown. Uh, and hmm. um, and suddenly, I knew who these characters were. And and I, so, I mean, politically, from like a political standpoint, why I chose the first person for this was I don't think um, writers of colour in the UK get much opportunity to write novels that are concerned with the interior lives of of people as much. You know, they are, either have to be big political statement books or they have to hark back to, like, history or, or colonialism. And while, while my novel kind of does that, I wanted also these guys to have some very everyday concerns and those concerns be quite immediate there is a tradition in this country of uh, literary fiction written by middle-class, middle-aged white men where a middle-class, middle-aged white creative writing professor has sex with, with one of his impossibly attractive younger students and then was a bit sad for 350 pages. And I wanted to do... I wanted to write... I wanted to write something that kind of told the sort of the everyday lives of, of people from an immigrant family. And so, you know, there are moments where politics enters into it, but... There is a lot of concern with things like death and family and career and we don't often get that and so writing it in first person allowed me to kind of really interrogate who these characters were and also like there are some stylistic differences between the the parts as well i was really inspired by nw by zadie smith which in turn was inspired by a brilliant comic novel called mrs bridge by evan s o'connell the one thing I love about NW is how each movement in it feels stylistically different from the other. And I wanted to do something different with this. So, like, you know, without giving too much away, like, part one by Mukesh is basically, like, a very sort of heady how I met your mother story. And because he tells the story again and again and again, because it sort of celebrates his most perfect, most happiest he's ever been in his life. This, the chapter headings follow the seven-point story structure that you're taught in, like, creative writing 101. And then, and stylistically, it feels like, you know, when a dad sits his children down to tell them a story in that laborious way that dads tell children stories. And then part two uh, by Neha, which is all about patterns emerging... Um, it's all written in kind of like clipped interior compute, almost like computer computer language, um, and each each chapter is like the Kubler Ross stages of grief. And then Rakesh, this is probably like the biggest stylistic difference, like because Rakesh is a, is a stand up comedian, and you know stand up comedians a lot of their lives depend on external validation. Uh, his part is narrated by five people he has he has experiences with because we never actually get to see inside his head, and that kind of distancing was quite important to me to kind of get inside the head of a stand up comedian. And then part four is um, narrated by the maternal grandmother and because, you know, all she does during her days is listen to Hindi songs from the 60s and 70s on, on her radio and waits for death. Like, the, the style is much more po- poetic and evocative of, like, um, love, law and Bollywood lyrics from the 60s and 70s. So, like, I, I guess, like, finding the style for each section was the thing that really helped me with the first person. 
Yeah, because they're, they're almost like, I mean, my kind of like way into it is thinking about Ulipo style uh, restrictions. Makesh, like, he strikes me as he's quite, you know, like there is a structure to a self-conscious structure that he's putting together. But also he's, there's an element of he knows he's a character in a story kind of thing you know like he's very conscious of being it he reminded me a little bit of in a weird way he kind of reminded me of george mcfly in the first <laughs> back to the future but at the same time i was wondering did you have other runs at each because you said these characters have been with you for a while and like having the style helped you to unlock them does that mean you had other runs at this character these characters where you tried like a different way into one of them and that didn't quite work and then you sort of found a, a, a new style or was it a slow accrual of slowly kind of working it out and editing it and drafting it down there are three or four very different versions of this book in the archives so when i was 19 i tried to write tried to write it it was called darky and it was very angry and it was all about miscarriage of justice against um the character we now know is Mukesh and uh, I didn't get very far into it because it was just very angry and I just had a lot to say but I didn't kind of have the narrative techniques to be able to say it you know I, I was doing a lot of uh, telling and not showing as as that age-old bit of writing advice uh, advises you not to do and then I tried to write it again but this time I wrote it as a, as a collection of loosely linked short stories called I've Forgotten My Mantra as a, like a little nod to Jeff Goldblum's one line in Annie Hall, and it very nearly got picked up by Callengate actually, and yeah, it just wasn't it just wasn't there yet, and so I, I wrote Coconut Unlimited, and then I came back to the book and I, I, I tried another version of it. It was called Stories My Dad Tells, and this time it was much more about it was the same characters, but it was much more the whole book was much more in the style of the first part, uh, all the way through, and it kind of it jumped about all over the place and I, I remember giving it to my agent I, I think her reaction was a bit like what the fuck is this she's not my agent any anymore not because of that but you know and it just wasn't working and I went away and wrote Meat Space and then after Meat Space I quickly wrote the manuscript for a novel called Wild Loaves um, which will always stay in the drawer and what I'm really glad I wrote Wild Loaves I'm really glad I took the time to write it it was sort of like this very Richard Courtesy novel where two strangers meet as in the queue to like a festival that's a bit like Latitude or Green Man or something and for various reasons they end up spending the whole weekend together because neither of them can find their friends and they fall in love over three days it's very charming and sweet but it was sort of it was quite easy to write and it was quite light as well and it wasn't really doing anything for me as a writer and it didn't really feel like you know, I feel like each project has to be a step up from the last one. So I went back to went back to this manuscript, and around the time I heard that Mitch Hurwitz interview, and I was like, okay, I now know what to do. Uh, and so I wrote a version of it that is very close to what got published, but it was structurally very different. And then I restructured it, and so I guess I guess the moral of this because it's been a project that's been gestating for a while two, like there's two reactions to that one is the Chinese democracy reaction where someone might be like someone might be like yeah if it's taken you 20 years maybe just leave it in the drawer and the other re <laughs> and the other reaction is like it needed to cook it needed to it, need, it was a it was a it was a slow cooker it needed it was a good good casserole or, or you know whatever food analogy you want to use like I'm glad it's taken this long to kind of come out of me because I threw everything at it in 
this version of it and it says everything I wanted to say and it features characters that I wanted to write and you know whatever the reaction to the book is it's definitely the book that I needed to do and that feels really empowering to me that like some you know sometimes we're we're in such a rush to get stuff finished because it's hard or because we we're de- you know we have to be published now or never you know but sometimes these things take time and sometimes time is the thing that you 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 need like sometimes distance is the thing that's going to make this like your most accomplished work and like i definitely feel like for me as a writer this is my most accomplished work Mate, that, I'm so glad you've said that. I'm, I cannot, I'm beaming here. Uh, I know we haven't got video chat on, but if you could see me now, I'm smart. That's so inspiring without being cheesy. Because I was about to ask, like, what made you keep going? But I think you're absolutely right. There's something deeply calming about knowing that the book you came out with was the best you could do at that time and the one you wanted to write. I think it me. you know, that's how I felt where I've, just put everything into a a project you just feel like I know that this is what I wanted it to be and I think that means that you know when people read it they're definitely they're getting the story and the characters and everything you care about that you and that's under your control as well that side of it Mm. in a way that so much in publishing feels like it isn't you know feels like there's all sorts of things and half a dozen arbitrary gatekeepers it feels like sometimes couldn't either like make or kill a book depending on whether they yay or nay it but i will still despite that i will still ask the question like what what was it about this that made because that is a long time to kind of keep Mm. going and then you know, you were writing the book and it wasn't quite working and you went and you wrote something else and then you came back to it and you felt we still weren't quite happy with it and you went and you wrote something else. Like, that takes, like, a lot of confidence or a self-delusion or arrogance or whatever you want to say to, like, be able to go, right, I'm going to start on something new. And it, it takes a long time to write a novel and complete it. What has kept you going through all this time? Because that's a, it's a hell of a lot of work with, with so little certainty. You know... I mean, there's there's like a very specific thing that I wanted to talk about in the book, and I I could mention that, but then you know there's always different ways of like presenting an idea or a story, like so it didn't didn't necessarily have to be the to be the 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 thing, but I think it was actually like remembering who who I wrote for and why I wrote and like I, I and sometimes you just have to remember like you're not writing for your publisher like you're not writing for your agent you're not writing for necessarily for heaps of readers you're writing for you as the reader and you as the writer have to be happy with that the thing that you're handing you as the reader is the thing that you want to be handing them you know a friend of mine once said like you have to be the first customer of everything you do and that's really really stuck with me for a long time and like it took writing a full like 70,000 words of this sort of charming sweet rom-com thing that will never see the light of day for me to realize that like actually I wanted to do something else like it's a it, you know the book is fine but it's not the book that I wanted to give me as a reader so I, I really remembered sitting in a pub with Joe Dunthorne and um he was i think he was working on wild abandon at the time and like apologies joe for quoting something you said in passing that you probably don't even remember saying if you do listen to this um which of course you do because um tim and i are very good friends of yours and and 
and you've got a young child and so all you're doing is walking around with the young child in a pushchair <laughs> listening to podcasts while they cry hoping that the podcast will, will drown them out um i absolutely know that <laughs> but but he was saying he, he said to me about coconut limited like enjoy this time because like you get all of the time before your first novel comes out to throw stuff into your first novel and then with your second novel you've only got the time between your first novel and your second novel and the thing that stuck with me was with the, with destiny this is the first novel i sat down to try and write so i still feel like i've thrown everything at this everything between like everything that's come before this has gone into it and um doing the good immigrant and like really feeling that a community of readers kind of really came out in support of that book in a really wonderful way and just made me remember why I wrote and who I wrote for that was really empowering for me to just sit down and go you know what persisting with this book is the right decision because I got to sort of see firsthand like the impact that books can make on people's lives and I want this book to have an impact on people because of the themes that it discusses and for it like being a very very true slice of like contemporary British Asian life that we don't get very often because I guess with your like rom-com like like you're saying it's not that it's not that you've got anything in particular against fluffy rom-coms it's just that was not something that at the moment you have like this deep connection with and if you had you wrote a, a light rom-com and you put it out and it did really really super well that would be great but I guess when we do that and it's not something that we we're not the first customer of it right then there's that feeling of like okay great but they now like me for something that I feel is kind of yeah like I've put out like a kind of co- really competent cover version instead of like my own material uh is that is that fair enough? Like, is, yeah. is, that's what I kind of got the sense of that. Like, it's like you you can do like a, a a pretty decent impression of what you imagine like the market wants, which is always in itself like a kind of stereotype and a distortion. But you, the thing that's going to like get you through doing stuff is knowing I'm I'm the only person who can write this book, and also this is the book that I want that I either can't find out there or this is the kind of book that I want to see more of because it's like the thing that like us like for me like my connection is always like thinking of things like like the studio Ghibli movies like I remember like watching Spirited Away for the first time and there's a bit where Chihiro stroke Sen is walking around the outside of the bathhouse and she steps on a pipe and the pipe there's a long shot of the pipe sort of breaking and she nearly falls and it made something happen in my heart and in my stomach where I felt weird and I got tingles in my head and I can't really communicate to anyone what that is that I'm feeling in that moment but it's this weird place and I'm feeling a weird thing even though it's not happening and all I know is whenever I write I want to recreate that for myself and other people I don't I don't even know if that makes sense but so if I will if I was just doing like if I did a really good crime trilogy I respect crime writers. I love reading crime fiction, but I don't feel any connection to that personally. Yeah, it's definitely not. It's not the style of it that made me bulk. I didn't go, oh, this is beneath me. It's it's more. It was more practical than that actually. Like, I gave the novel to my agent, and my agent read it, and he had some notes for me on it, as agents do. And when I thought about it, I thought. I sort of don't care 
like I don't care about making this character more like this and I don't care about structurally tweaking this so this really really works like and I had to really really interrogate why I didn't care and it was because the material just wasn't interesting to me like it wasn't it wasn't where my head was at you know and you know I've been so like invested in like conversations around representation and equality and uh, community and all the rest of it and it just felt more important for me to do something that said something um, so it was it was just that time like, I might come back to it in like a few few years and go oh yeah there's there's some work that needs to be done here and this will be a, a good novel but it just at the time it wasn't what I wanted to do uh, and it's quite a big thing to stick a full length manuscript in your drawer and go not right now you know it's, it's sort of terrifying yeah yeah it is yeah 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 no that's but your willingness to do that is why you've got two books coming out this year right like it's like that's what i find so kind of exciting about where you are now is you know and having spoken to you at different points in your i don't i'm, I'm coming so close to using the word journey i know that's a bit kind of like cheesy but like your you certainly your yeah your career now that's too mercenary to your writing life right is that like i've spoken to you at different points in it and and now you're at a place where a lot of the stuff that was really you know like you just seeing stuff through because you cared about the stories is now bearing fruit and now readers are going to get their chances to get their hands on it and, and that's really exciting to me. yeah yeah me too like i sort of i'm excited to see what readers make of this book because uh I gave it everything, and that doesn't mean that I automatically get a pass for, <laughs> for people to go. Well, he gave it everything, A plus, A plus. You know, I, I, it, it's still a book that I think will, you know, be a talking point because of some of the themes that it discusses. But I, so I, I don't know how to say this without kind of trashing a thing that you shouldn't really trash. There's an there was an interview with me in like a big national newspaper, which automatically sets us up as wanky, and I apologise. And I really remember a quote from it. it. Like it didn't like quote too much of what I said, but at one point it says that Nikesh says trite things like he really believes in community. And the rest of the piece, like I could take or leave, but that one comment has has really bothered me for a really long time now, for a good four four years. So so wait the 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 interviewer d quoted you and said that you say trite they their language was you say trite things like you like community. yeah and um i have to say that like i am where i am now because of community because of the community around the good immigrant because of the community building i've done around like the importance of the importance of representation and inclusion in in, in books and and I think it's I think it's really important to have community. Whether that community is like, as a writer, you have like a t like a team of five writers, and you all share work with each other, and you all give each other encouraging but critical feedback. Or if that community is like your larger like a larger like artistic community that does lots and lots of things, and they all all support each other. Or if that community is like a movement that is trying to bring about change in in the cultural sphere. Or if that community is just. A group of writers who go, who go to the pub or to, to the coffee shop and chat about their craft like I think community is incredibly important I don't think it's I don't think it's a trite thing to say like, I completely agree right it's like going who like community is like people you care about 
who care about you and you look after each other. Of course those people are important. You know, I always think of things like uh, like in the Journey to the West when the monkey is taking Prince Tripitaka, Tripitaka representing the three jewels of Buddhism. And the three jewels of Buddhism are the Buddha, the Dharma, so like everything he says, and then the third one is the Sangha, the people. And they're put in as the same level of importance as the Buddha himself and everything he says is the community. That's the third jewel. And to me, it's like those people around you, I think it's, that's one of the I think that's one of the causes of second novel syndrome. You were talking about that, that Joe was talking to you about it, where you don't have this time. I think also there's a temptation as you move to your second novel to cut yourself off from the community because you feel like oh, I'm, a, I'm a writer now. I just need to like sit down and switch the machine on and get something out. And I can't like turn to people around me and go, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Uh, can you look at this for me? I think it might be rubbish. I think I might have written a dreadful thing. It's kind of like there's a temptation. I think lots of writers kind of cut themselves off from that because they forget they're allowed to be a beginner again. Yeah, sorry. I uh, <laughs> A really old friend just turned up and uh, pat me on the shoulder. I was listening. <laughs> I'm really sorry. That's all right. That's a, that you were you were just demon effortlessly demonstrating the importance of of community. community. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, um, it was the, the perils of working in an open plan office. <laughs> Without sort of like embarrassing you, I really love the new book. I always feel weird like saying this in front of authors. It's like when I went into um, IDOS to play tomb raider years ago when i was a video game journalist and i've never felt so much pressure as playing a game while being watched by one of the people who made it i felt like every time i missed a jump they would hate me <laughs> so i say this is just like my own take but like i thought it was like quite funny in places i, I think if it, uh, like i i found it like really uh, amusing like and i think you know people might not from the description realize that there's a lot of i think quite like melancholy but quite wry humor there's quite a lot of like lang language uh, humor as well but it's also um it's like i found it like sad without being harrowing as well like i don't feel like you're ever being manipulative like i really feel invested in it in these characters but um there's just like this there's like a like, i felt like there's this pervasive sense of not not even missed opportunities more like like denied opportunities and things that ne nearly could have been and um and the echoes that they leave and so like I've, i found it really like like you've been saying i've been reading it like it, during my daughter's naps like sitting in the car with the engine running with white noise on reading it and um <laughs> yeah and that and so like sleep deprivation may add to my uh, sense of tearing up a little bit while reading it but um i definitely felt like it's um it feels like a really textured and it's very funny and it's like all those little the little mundane details that you have in it of like everyday life that I think makes it feel and this is and everybody listens to the podcast knows I love crunchy specificity that's my big thing is like like drilling down into because people live their life in details not in kind of like general and that's what I also think is so great about this is none of these characters although they end up they you know no human being can end up not representing something about the time they live in um and the community that they exist in um none of these characters feel like ciphers for a big theme they feel like people who are kind of like caught up in larger uh, events and i i just i just really like it that's all i've got to say really yeah thank you that means a lot it really means a lot like 
you know, it's it's interesting. I, I don't know if you find this, but I, I think that people always try and find the autobiographical in, in our work. And especially, you know, when, you know, if, you, if you've been as open as honest as you were, like doing Death Drive and uh, We Can't All Be Astronauts and like a, as open and honest as I am in my my observer column and whatnot like i think it's interesting what it's always interesting to see what people make of your fiction in terms of how personal they think it is um and actually like this isn't i mean it is a personal book but it's not a personal book that relies on real events it you know it's 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 all a feeling it's all like the themes of things that really perplexed me or bothered me or upset me over the, you know, the, the entirety of my life. And, um, I guess like the only real personal thing in there is, um, I, I've spoken about this in interviews before, but, um, the week my first novel came out, my mum quite suddenly died. And, um, I had this sort of weird thing where I was kind of being quite publicly promoting, but also privately grieving, which was just a really awful time for me. And, um, and, the section with the stand-up comedian kind of having his career in its ascendancy while he's grieving and uh, the the entirety of his section is narrated by by other people while they try and kind of understand what's going on with him like that is probably the most personal it gets because i wanted to try and understand like how that must have all seemed from the outside um, of what I was going through so like uh, yeah I don't know how you find that kind of constant questioning of like how real is your fiction I, I don't know you, you kind of you, yours I think it's odd because I think there's two I think there's two I would, I would sort of aver that there are two forces going on with why that doesn't happen with me one because I wrote a memoir to start with so mm. like I, I did a piece of autobiographical non-fiction so people would just took that as, at face value that that was me and there's things that I would write differently about that I think like I wrote that book with some flaws in my own self-awareness I didn't realize at the time that I had properly had like mental health issues I didn't realize that I was probably depressed I wrote a book about wanting to get a novel published and you know people were like oh he's a bit he's whinging a lot isn't he it's not that important and I wish I'd sort of known at the time and look, looking back, I'm like, oh, I had clinical depression. That's why I was sad. Like, <laughs> they're kind of like... But then you, you get to the... So I was just going to say, but then you've got to kind of remix it a bit with Exactly. The show. I, I think the live and... show, Death Drive, I ended up connecting with that uh, uh, in, a, in a way that I was a lot happier with and where I finally sort of worked a little bit of myself out. With the honours, one, I think, fantasy it was fantasy but being reviewed mainly by literary author literary reviewers so i think they they see fantasy and they go okay that's not anything to do with your life and two i i think that i just think that there's i i think there's something where being just like a white middle class cis male uh reviewers look at my work and go oh you're kind of like mr default you get to write about ev anything you want and it's not ever about you it's just about kind of like your genre so I think in a way like I get to be the only thing I ever get is like people would do reviews and going well you can tell Tim's a poet because he did this one good metaphor and I'm like well, you've never seen any of my poetry <laughs> because if you had you'd know like it is mainly about farts and people pooing themselves during sex like there's no metaphors in the whole thing but people had just read in my bio they'd gone oh he's a poet oh here's a simile 
that's something to talk about in the review. And like, look, I know, and you know as well, like we've both written book reviews. It can be hard. You don't have a, much of a relationship with the book that gets sent to you. Normally there's this whole unseen, like little sort of like courting ritual that goes on with a book where you kind of like go to the bookshop or online, you hear about a book, you go and find it, you read the back cover, you decide you're going to buy it. And then you've kind of made a sort of like unconscious contract that I'm going to read 50 pages of this. And I want, and it's like a guest you've invited in. And when you review something, it's just like a guy has like parascended in through your window and gone, hi, I'm here for dinner. And if that person <laughs> turns out to be like a really awesome and they've brought dinner with them and they tell you these amazing anecdotes, that person is going to be your best friend for life. You will be telling the anecdote about when this rando gate crashed your house for the rest of your life. So that's why you get rave reviews. But if you just don't really connect and they're a bit of a douchebag, you're going to hate them because you didn't invite them in. So I think it's always... I, I, I don't want to sort of be too critical of reviewers because I think it is odd because it's a it's an unnatural relationship you've got with a book i i i guess the thing that you and i that probably is different for for you and me is we are writers and so we are writers reviewing other writers whereas i think the tradition of criticism and like reviewers who aren't writers unless, unless they're reviewing you know that that feels quite alien to me uh in a way like i don't think I, I don't think I, I'm able to kind of have a reaction to a thing and then assume that that will be the default reaction for yeah. everyone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You, you kind of end up kind of like super qualifying my stuff with my own... Because I also I know my, my tastes are very personal. I don't even really know where my, my, my tastes are all over the map with books. And I'm constantly... I like reading like almost randomly like seeing something that's exciting i find it really difficult to define my taste by genre and i don't think that's particularly because i'm a particularly courageous or um sort of uh, adventurous reader i just think i just like stuff that's good or that feels good to me and i can't really define it so it's always it's always difficult for me because i get i get step sent books if i'm reviewing something i always get sent books about a a, a young a, a young girl in a mysterious country house that's that's all i get sent to review <laughs> <laughs> and, and which is fair enough like that is kind of my wheelhouse but um it does make me feel a little bit like someone's going this person's writing a book that's a bit like yours what do you think about that it's like it's like someone being introduced it's like being introduced to someone a, someone a friend introducing you to a mutual saying oh you oh you'll like him he's exactly like you <laughs> it's like no i don't know how to take that like it's uh, I, but i, I immediately I refine like points myself of... yeah exactly <laughs> it's like but i'm a really but i'm rubbish I, I, the final thing i wanted to sort of ask you and i think like because a lot of people who listen to the podcast are working on novels or are kind of tickling around the edges of it you wrote a fantastic essay in the art of the novel and i'll put links to all your books and to uh, this as well in the show notes of the show so anyone you can go to that and click through and get them although of course if you do want to buy uh, the one who wrote destiny and you live in the uk then the best way to do that is to go to your local independent bookshop and uh, pick it up there um so you um you say in the essay it's a really fantastic essay about finding time to write and how you need less time than you think you say i wrote the first draft of meat space in 63 days and a half <laughs> 
I was so near the end on day 63. I did an extra 45 minutes later that day. So I, just to have the pleasure of writing Finn at the end. And so you've got this, and you've got this wonderful how to write the first draft of a novel in 2.5 months using the Shukla method and the Josie Long Golden Game, which is, you know, trying to write in 90 minute chunks as if this was kind of like the big match for you. Um, and I just wondered, I, I was just going to read them out and I was just going to ask you whether this is still a technique that you use or whether your thinking on it has shifted or whether you have any comments. Is that all right if I just read out these? Yeah. You've got like six rules here. Okay, so uh, rule one, move forward, never revisit. Revisiting is for draft two. Rule two, draft one is the scariest draft because it's an empty page. Rule three, initial rush is followed by malaise, is followed by stress is followed by a flurry, is followed by doubt about the end. Oh my God, that is so, that is too real for me. Rule four, when you get to a block, write insert scene where A, B and C happen, resolution equals question mark. Rule five, write at the same time every day, the time you know you're free. Rule six, play the golden game. So that's uh, the 90 minutes. So those are your kind of, that's your six rule ideal method how close is that to the actual way you write and has anything changed since you wrote that essay <laughs> that you would sort of like to adjust well, i've had some major life changes since i wrote it um so yeah i still stand by all of those things because i think the um the biggest thing that writers do to self-sabotage is to romanticize the writing process and sometimes you just need to find the way that works for you that was the way that worked for me with like a busy job and a commute and uh, wanting to fit in family life and all the rest of it. Recently, in the last few months, I've been lucky enough to be able to quit my job to do this stuff all full time. And I now procrastinate a lot. I'm now my own boss. And so part of me is like, hey, just go on Netflix. Your bosses are watching. And part of me is like, tell off your employee for watching Netflix. <laughs> the best summation of the writer's life ever is it's like a really horrible workplace there's a really really horrible workplace culture and the workplace is you and there's no hr <laughs> yeah no i've got no one to report myself to and because I, I i work in a in an art in an arts uh, space called the watershed in a in a studio which is all like open desks and bean bags and stuff i took a nap yesterday <laughs> <laughs> on some bean bags and today over lunch i watched designated survivor which is the worst show ever but i'm addicted to it <laughs> i still stand by still stand by that i'm about to start working on my next ya which will be the first time i've written a thing since probably 2015 2016 maybe like a first draft of a thing so it'll be interesting to see how that goes because i'll have full days to kind of work on it but i think i'll be revisiting that essay just to kind of get some momentum because i think so much of this is about energy and kind of trying to keep yourself excited because you know going back to what we were saying near the start like sometimes it's really shit and sometimes you, it's the last thing you want to do and sometimes you're like every word that is coming out of my fingertips is like a turd so trying to get some energy and momentum into it and and a degree of like muscle memory i think is is quite important so yeah i still stand by it you can't see but i was doing some little fist pumps there when about all that stuff you said that's so 
I know it seems weird to say, it's so inspiring when you say sometimes it's going to be shit and every word that comes is going to be a turd. But it, it, it's so good. And I think it's, I'm so glad you said that about, because because you your words carry more weight than mine. Like people listen to me, they go, it's just Tim. But now I've got, I feel like I've had someone else's finally saying some things that I, I completely agree with. This idea that is we, there's a really unhealthy romanticization of the writing process. Mm. And we writers are sometimes complicit in it because we want to seem like authors, right? So we kind of sometimes cover up the fact that it's difficult because we want to seem like we know what we're doing. And it's so great to, I, not that I, you know, I wish you all the best with the new piece. And I think like what you're saying, like you're gonna have moments you're going to have that moment that high of kind of like jumping into it and going new voice new toys new characters new place settings oh anything could happen and then you hit your first problem in the manuscript and you go oh maybe this is the wrong idea maybe i maybe i should be doing something else and then you work through that and then eventually it gets enough of a size to it that you just go it's probably less work to finish this now yeah. than it is to give up which <laughs> seems like a real defeatist but i think you're you know the kind of level of accepting that and just doing the work and knowing that sometimes you'll procrastinate and it doesn't make you an evil person it just makes you a human being who's doing other parts of the human experience you're not just an author you're a person who gets to be, like exist in the world like every other human being then that's great and I, it sounds to me like i'm just so glad you said all that because i know that's going to be massively helpful to everyone who's listening just listen to nikesh he knows exactly what he's talking about and that that will get you through so many issues lean into the self-doubt because <laughs> i also i don't also i don't feel like i know what i'm talking about there is like there's a whole culture dedicated to writing tips and if there was one singular writing tip it would there wouldn't be like this whole industry around it so all I, all I can say is just find what works for you and stick to it. Like, you know, I, I sort of feel a bit, I always feel a bit like heavy when people are like, oh, I can only write in notebooks or yeah, I've downloaded this app to stop me from using the internet. Like sometimes you need to use the internet or sometimes you need to procrastinate. But here is an actual, uh, an actual writing tip that has served me well in the past. If you're, if you're sitting down to do like, if you're if you're sitting down to do like an hour of writing or an hour like or, or like a thousand words, don't just launch straight into the thousand words. If you went to the gym, you'd need to stretch and warm up. Do some warm up exercises because it means that you're kind of coming to the material that actually matters, warmed up rather than cold and like annoyed and like do some do some free writing, do some writing prompts, like tinker with something, you know, write a poem, like write a diary entry. Just do something for fifteen minutes that kind of warms you into the process because if you go into it cold you'll resent it within the first 10 minutes and like that's amazingly good advice and i guess that's also all that stuff that uh, early prompt also allows you to get through that early fear of like going oh, what if i mess it up i'm not sure what i want to do it, it you doing a writing prompt is like okay so you messed it up there's there's no cost to like messing up a warm-up you cannot mess up a warm-up by definition like so you can just go splurge and write whatever you want and, and of course, doing those warm-ups as well, sometimes you stumble across something that lets you know what's going on in your head that gives you unlocks so, like a bit a bit of a writer's block from later on. You go, oh, hang on. Oh, I could Ooh. use that. Um, that. That's fantastic advice. I don't want to activate your imposter syndrome too much by uh, 
by praising you to the high heavens. Of course, your you know your feet are on the ground. You're very modest about these things, but I'm sure that's it's just useful for you being uh, sort of so honest and human about it and going, look, I don't, I'm I'm no expert on this, but this is what has worked for me across the course of multiple books, right? So I, I think that's great. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really, really appreciate it. Cheers, Tim. Thanks so much. You're, you're most welcome. And to everyone listening, as I said, I'll put links to uh, Nikesh's books in the uh, show notes. Uh, his latest book is The One Who Wrote Destiny. That's out now. And Run Riot is out, is it June? Yes. Yeah. So that you can look forward to that later on. Uh, thanks very much. And to everyone else, have a great writing week. And I will see you soon. Goodbye. <laughs>